today as you exit this service and enter the lobby, you might see some teenagers exiting the other service and you might notice that they are dressed more like they're going to the pool than like they're going to church. And you might think, why would somebody dress like that at church? I'm glad you asked. Well, the reason they are dressed like that is because they signed up for a trip with our youth that if they would come to nine o'clock worship, we would then take them the rest of the day whitewater rafting. And so at 10 a.m., they'll be loading up on the church vans for a wonderful day of whitewater rafting. I don't know how many of you have ever been whitewater rafting. The first time I ever went, I went with a church youth group. And we went down to the Ocoee River outside of Cleveland, Tennessee. I remember what our guide said as we all got on the raft. I remember how she spoke about how the raft would not magically put itself in the correct position to go down the river upright. And how we needed to use our paddles to make sure the raft was in the correct position because we were going to go on some significant rapids. And if we did not hit each rapid in the correct position, we could easily capsize. We would not drift safely down the river. We had to use our paddles to move and maneuver the raft safely down the river. She went over and over and over this. And as we approached the first rapid, another guide called out to her and asked her a question. She became distracted. She looked at the other guide and guess what we did? we drifted into the first rapid. The next thing I remember, I was traveling down the river outside of our raft. The only person left in our raft was a young lady who was about five foot six, 95 pounds. And she was suddenly charged with pulling everyone else into the raft. And I don't know how she did it other than the presence of the Holy Spirit. All I know is when I looked at her and she realized she was the only one in the raft, all she did was scream at me. And she screamed so loud, I think it gave me the adrenaline I needed to somehow maneuver back into the raft. And you can rest assured, first I want you to know, most of us were okay and one of us was mostly okay. And for the rest of that trip down the river, we were very aware that nothing in this world was going to cause us to drift into another rapid. We were going to control that raft and hit the rapid the correct way. That's a lot like our life with God. We do not drift towards God in life. We move towards God and we drift away from God. You will not subconsciously drift towards God in life. Go read the Bible. Where in the Bible does it ever say someone wasn't paying much attention and going about their daily lives and they developed an amazing, incredible, transformative relationship with God? That's not in the Bible. The Bible does talk about people running away from God and it talks about how when we do that, God pursues us. The Bible talks about people drifting away from God. The Bible does not talk about people drifting towards God. We move towards God. And Jesus knew this. So in the middle, in the exact middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which we are focusing on this month in our first Putting Your Treasure Where Your Heart Is series, we are talking about Matthew 
6. Matthew 6 is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is contained in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And today we're at verses 19 through 21, which is the exact middle of the exact middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And oh, by the way, this is Jesus' most famous teaching. And this is the middle of it. So this might be important. In high school, your English teachers taught you about context clues. Context. It's the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably important. This is what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart shall also be. Friends, Unless your heart controls your treasure, your treasure will subconsciously control your heart. That's the treasure principle that Jesus is teaching us, that unless your heart constantly control, consciously controls your treasure, your treasure will control, will subconsciously control your heart. That's, that's just the way this life works. That, in, in essence, if you think about our passions and our desires in life, what we're focused on is where our heart will gravitate towards. That's, 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 that's where we'll go. Uh, some of you today are more concerned, and I'm sorry, I know right now I'm going to step on toes, but some of you today are more concerned that last night the Tennessee Volunteers only won by 17 points than you are about the fact that last week you didn't get in Bible and reading and prayer every day, right? Some of us are more concerned, concerned about that. Some of us are more concerned about the fallout we have in our relationships because of things we said while our team was only winning by 17 points last night. That's a legitimate concern. You should probably address those in your close relationships. But think about where your heart is. Where where does your heart go to and where you place your treasure, your time, your energy, your talents, your resources, your heart's, your heart's going to go there. So what's first in your heart? And are you intentionally making sure that's where your treasure is placed? Because if you, do, if you are not intentional, if you do not intentionally take your treasure and place it where your heart is, your heart's just going to find where your treasure is. And your heart's going to go there. And that's going to be what your heart is going to be set on. And if your treasure has drifted from God, if your treasure has drifted away from what's really important to you, then your heart will be set on these other things, these other shallower things. And it might be that when you get your heart's desire, you realize it wasn't entirely worth desiring. It, when you're finally fulfilled in all your hopes and all your dreams, you might come to the point of realizing you need bigger hopes and dreams because they don't entirely fulfill. And this happens so easily and it happens so silently. And for each of us in our Christian lives, there are times when we need to be called back, when we need to be called back to our first love. Just, just like in a marriage, 
There are times in our marriages uh, where uh, we become much more concerned with the work of running a small business together, which we call a home, than in loving one another, caring for one another, knowing how the other person is doing and making sure they know they're first. And there are times in marriages when, when we have to be called back to why we do this, to our first love. It's the same way in our relationship with God. Even those who pursue God the most find there are those times when we must come back. For some of us, maybe today we've never put God first. Maybe we've, we've never said, God, I, I want my life to be about you. That's, that's what I want it to be all about. There are times in ministry, and I can tell you that I find in ministry something happens to me every uh, five to six years, is that I will become so focused on whatever my current tasks are, whatever the things I'm trying to accomplish in the church are, and those tasks will begin to, to take over and they'll, they'll begin to creep in to the relationship with God from which everything should come. And I remember being 18 years old and I remember being an emotional mess and I remember being quite immature. And sadly, if I were to look at myself through God's eyes, I think God would probably say, hey, Will, you're in your mid forties, but you're still kind of messy. But let's not talk about that right now. I remember being 18 and I remember a lot of things being out of whack. But I remember being deeply and passionately in love with God. I remember not wanting anything more than to read my Bible and pray when I woke up in the mornings. And, I rem and each time when I find myself drifting, I tell myself, if you ever get away from being that 18-year-old, no matter how many skills or how much wisdom you acquire, you've lost it. You've, you've sold your soul to, to gain the world. That relationship with God, that's where everything comes from. And if we give up on that, we, we can accomplish the greatest achievements in history and we've missed out on the greatest gift that God desires for us to, to place God first. So I simply want to ask you in your life, I want to ask you to ask yourself a question. And you don't have to tell anybody else in this room the answer to this question. Have you ever truly placed God first? Have you ever truly said, God, you're first in my life? Not just used God to accomplish something, because that's quite easy to do. Because many times what we do in life is we say, God, I will follow you if. God, I will come to church because. Because I want this. Because I want that. God, I will read my Bible and pray each day because I want this and because I want that. God, I will serve others because I want this and because I want that. And that's an okay way to start our relationship with God. And many times those things we seek are things God wants to give us. Some of us started coming to church because our significant other or the person we wanted to be our significant other was going to church. That's, that's just fine. I, full disclosure, I met my wife in church. It's a wonderful place to meet somebody. I remember my granddad telling me when I turned 16 years old, 
And I just loved his language. He was one of those finger shakers. Do any of you have people who are finger shakers? That when they make a point, they just have to shake the finger at you? And he'd say, Will, church is a fine place to go courting. You just make sure you pay attention to the sermon. And I was like, Pop, my dad's preaching. (laughs) Your son, he's going to ask me about it. I'm going to have, to have to pay attention. I love that word, courting. I had to ask him what it meant. I found out. But some of us go for those reasons. Some of us come to church because we're trying to get sober. And let me tell you, God desperately wants that for you if that's why you're coming. Some of us come to church because we're trying to get our relationships or our life or our marriage in order. And all those are things God wants for you, blessings God wants to give you. But none of those is the first thing. The first thing God wants to give you is God's self. Because God gave us his son. Jesus gave us himself. That's the first gift God wants to give. And if we can keep ourselves focused on that, all these other gifts become available to us. So I want you to ask yourself, have I ever really placed God first? And if you have a I want to ask you, is God still first? Is God first in your mind or is God first in your treasure? In what you do with your time, talent, resources, with your energy, with your passion? Where, where's God now? Do, do you have to be called back? Have you made this life simply about how well you can navigate the challenges of it based on your own wisdom and instinct Or is your life an adventure that is guided by the Holy Spirit towards a holy God, lived for a holy purpose, making an eternal difference in this world? Is is that where you are? And if not, is it time to allow God to call you back? And I don't care if you're 18 or if you're 80, to remember that time when God was first. And to say, God, all these other things you've done for me since then, I thank you for them, but I don't, and I don't want to give them up. I want to use them for your glory, but I want you to call me back. Call me back to that first love. Call call me back to that. So, So for each of us, ask yourself this question. If Jesus was first in your heart, would your calendar look different? If Jesus was first in your heart, how, how would your calendar look our most precious gift is time. Uh, it's, it's honestly all we've got is time. Uh, how would your calendar look different if Jesus were first in your heart? Would, would, would it look different? And then a- after you, you look at your calendar, and for some, it may just be being intentional with our calendars because we all know if you don't control your calendar, your calendar will control you. And there are many gods out there trying to control our calendars. And to some extent, there are powers in this world which can con- control our calendar. Uh, I, I am very aware uh, that for the next nine years, eight months, and 23 days, the Knox County school system will play a large role in controlling my calendar as a parent. Not that I'm counting. Not that I have any resentment about it at all. But if you're a parent, you know that school system puts out that calendar. And uh, that calendar is kind of like the Ten Commandments of what what you must do. Uh, 
We, we have jobs. We, we have careers. We have family obligations. And not all these can be changed. But if we're not intentional about doing with our calendars what needs to be done, then we can't expect to move towards God. I recently ran into a friend I hadn't seen in about five years. And the last time I saw him, uh, he was slightly overweight. And this time when I saw him, he was chiseled. He looked like a a sculptor had taken marble marble, and had chiseled out these muscles that I didn't even know we had in our bodies. And you know what, what I said to him? I said, hey, you're, you're looking great. What'd you do? You know what he didn't say? Well, I just ate what I want and exercised whenever I wanted. And this kind of happened to me. And I'm just going to see what happens during the next five years. Of course not, right? That would never happen. He said, well, I changed my calendar. I wake up at five every morning and I go to the gym and I eat this many grams of protein every day and I eat this many grams of, of fat every day and, and I do all this. And, and then I informed him, and you also won the genetic lottery. Let's just, let's just be clear about that. There are others of us who do some of that and don't get those results. So you should call your mom and thank her. But you would never look at somebody who's had a massive physical transformation and go, oh, I bet you didn't do anything different, right? You just drifted into that new body. No, the same way with our calendars, same way with our resources. If Jesus was first in your heart, would your bank account look different? Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it would. But if Jesus was first in your heart, would your bank account look different? As we talk about this, we recognize that God gives us our resources to provide for our families and to provide for our needs and to generously provide for others. One of the great ways we generously provide for others is with giving to the church and all the people that the church helps and how the church helps all of us move intentionally towards God. So when you think about your giving of your resources to, to the church, is it first? One of the great principles in the Bible of how we use our resources for generosity is the principle of first fruits. In the Old Testament, the people were instructed to make first fruit offerings, that they took the grain of their crops and they would offer some to God and you always took the best or what you received first and you gave it to, to God. In fact, sometimes God would reject their offerings if they gave what couldn't really be used or what was la last or left over because the way we're created is God was simply created to be first. So when you look at this, have you prayerfully asked, God, what are you calling me to do with my resources? And God, I want to give to you first. I want to give to you first. And if calendar and remembering is difficult for you, one of the great ways to do this is through recurring giving. Concordunited.org slash give. You can find out how to do that. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the fact that on my Sunday morning routine, I don't have to write a check each week anymore. I enjoy that. Although my first bishop would turn over in his grave because he grabbed me as a 25-year-old and he said, now Will, 
every worship service, you either have your check or you put in a blank check because people need to see you do that. And I said, Bishop, I can't afford to put in a blank check. I said, can I just put in a blank piece of paper? But are we giving first to, to God? And then are we seeking to fully live into the biblical teachings of tithing, of God's design that we should live on 90% of what we have and that we should give 10% to God and then we can give above and beyond that as we have ability to help others? Uh, are, we, are we working towards that goal of giving our first 10% to God? Some of us are there and we can go above and beyond. Uh, for you, if you're not there, if you're at 2%, could you be at 3% next year? Could you, could you take that step? If you're at 6%, could, could you be at 7 Could you do that to say, God, I'm, I'm seeking to intentionally put you first? And when we make these pledges that we talk about, these pledges aren't, uh, they're, they're, they're not just some fundraising strategy. They're, they're a spiritual act of worship. They're about what we're always about, time, talent, prayers, re resources. They're about intentionally and prayerfully saying, God, we, we want to pray over this and put you first. Uh, just like with our Bible reading, just like with our prayer, just like with our service, we don't just want our generosity to, to just kind of happen. We want to be intentional about it. And then finally, I want to ask you this question. If Jesus was first in your heart, how would your focus be different? How would your focus in life be different if Jesus were first in your heart? Because we can go about and we can go through the motions and we can do the right things for the wrong reasons. It is possible for that to happen. How would your focus be different if Jesus were first in your heart? How would your focus be different when that person comes up to you and when they say those things which prick your ego when they say those things which make you feel taken for granted, uh, when, when they say those things uh, which push you away, would you think about how you can get back at them? Would you think about how you can say that perfect thing that just puts them in their place? Would you think about what, what they're going through? Would you ask the question, how can I love this person in this circumstance when they act like this? Uh, when you have opportunities to interact with others, is what's first on your heart, how can I love as Jesus loved me? Or is it, how can I get out of this what I want to get out of this? And I understand we have to have business interactions. I understand every conversation in life isn't a deep conversation about God. And if you've ever ran into somebody who wants every conversation to be a deep conversation about God, oh my word, they will wear you out. You know, you will, you will see them coming and you will go the other way. But in every conversation, even in those business conversations, can you go and can you say, I honestly want what's best I want what's best for me and my business and I want what's best for you and, and for your business with, within this, what's right and what's fair. How would your, your focus be different? Because as we think about our focus and as we look at what we want to do with our time and with our resources, with our energy and with our talents, there are some limits. And some limit that we might want to do something, not be able to. And those limits aren't all 
within our control. Uh, some of us are limited financially at this season of life because rents in Knoxville have gone up anywhere from 40 to 100% in the last five years. That, that limits some of us at this stage in life from being able to do what we want to do. Uh, what we want to do for ourselves, for our families, for our church, for the charities we give to. It's, it, we can't always control all of that. Uh, there are things uh, that might be limiting based on past decisions we've made uh, that we can't suddenly redo our entire calendar. But what we can do with the resources that are within our control and with the time that is within our control, uh, we can focus. We can focus that time and that energy and those resources on God. And in just a few weeks, when you come to this service, we'll be reading from the end of Matthew 6. And we'll read that passage that says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. Right now, as we focus this morning on what it means to put God first, the message I, I want you to take from today is not, if I do all these things, God will bless me. No. God, God doesn't work like that. In the same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says he makes the rain to fall on, on the evil and, and the good. Here, here's what I want you to know. If you do these things, you will be able to appreciate and see and discern and discover the blessings God is already pouring out on you. The way God is already opening up the gates of heaven and pouring out the blessings of love, of grace, of joy, of guidance, of wisdom upon you. God's already doing that. God's not going to stop doing that. But when we put God first, we allow ourselves to receive all that God is already doing. Let's, we're going to pray together. And we're going to pray a prayer that uh, we've uh, been putting some emphasis on here at the church called the Serenity Prayer. Uh, we're going to pray the whole thing together. Some of you may only know the first three lines. That's why we changed them up a little bit, just to throw you off. Uh, we're actually just using the old traditional language of, of this prayer. Uh, but it recognizes there are things we can't change. There are realities with our calendar and with our time, with things that have happened to us and past decisions that we've made that we can't entirely change. That's, that's okay. But we want the courage and the wisdom to use what we have to place our treasure where our heart is. So I would invite you to join me in the serenity prayer. God, give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish one from the other, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email 
to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.